0: My name is Abdel Leroy. Author, poet, narrator, voice actor, all-round creative genius. Welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast. Each episode, I announce a book giveaway on Amazon for the following Friday. Meanwhile, you can always get a free book any day of the week by going to my website, poetprophet.com where Prophet spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T, and going to the free book page. So today's content, I'm going to read another excerpt from my epic Elijah. But before I get to that, here's the first Shakespearean sonnet I ever learned. It's not the most famous of of his sonnets. It's not, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? It's not, let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. But it's very simple and very beautiful, Sonnet 27 Weary with toil, I haste me to my bed, The dear repose for limbs with travel tired, But then begins a journey in my head To work my mind when body's works expired. For then my thoughts, from far where I abide, Intend a zealous pilgrimage to Thee and keep my drooping eyelids open wide, looking on darkness which the blind do see, save that my soul's imaginary sight presents thy shadow to my sightless view, which, like a jewel hung in ghastly night, makes black night beauteous and a old face new. Lo thus, by day my limbs, by night my mind, For thee and for myself, no quiet find. The Shakespearean Sonnet is the form I most write in, and here's one I wrote about the sonnet for my students when I was teaching English. It's from my book Well-Versed, and like all my writings shared in this podcast and elsewhere, it's copyright protected and registered with the Library of Congress. The Shakespearean Sonnet now that you understand iambic verse, the sonnet is the next step in our course. In Shakespeare's methodology, immerse yourself and come to understand his force. With 14 lines, the rhyme A-B-A-B, then two more groups of four, C-D-C-D, and then E-F-E-F, and finally a rhyming couplet that is termed GG. By now you will have ascertained, I think, this lesson structured in the very form the bard himself writ in inspired ink and takes about a minute to perform. And now, in keeping with our customed way, go learn this poem and celebrate wordplay. And this one, Ode to the Sonnet, is also from my book Well Versed. The sonnet is a noble form of verse, and patterned by our predecessor, Bill. In one minute or so one may rehearse its fourteen lines and comprehend its will. No better means by message so distilled to concentrate the wisdom of the ages, conveying into consciousness instilled the muse of fiery minds and witty sages. Blank verse, meanwhile, has often left minds blank. So much free verse unravels at the seams. For brevity, the soul of which should thank the sonnet for its economic means. Thus, harking to Elizabethan times, let us reclaim our fondness for these rhymes. And this is from my verses Versus Empire series. Get it? It's a homonym. It's called Grave Error, another shakespearean form sonnet about Trump's refusal last weekend to visit war graves of US soldiers in France on the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day. And you may recognise the first line, which is from Wilfred Owen's immortal poem, Dulce et Decorum Est. Men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots, as through the killing fields of France they trudged a century ago, endured the hoots of shells, the trenches, barbed wire, filth, stench, sludge. But Trump, those soldiers had to live and sleep among the body parts of fallen men. Complaining of the rain won't even keep his pledge to honour graves of servicemen, so far from home they came to hallowed ground, some by disease, some by heroic feet. But shunning talk of peace, Trump turns around, lest mud should stain his dainty little feet. With war, not jaw, upon his lying lip, this armchair warrior's a pathetic drip. And now, speaking of wicked rulers, we're going to meet Queen Jezebel from the 9th century BC. This is from Book 8 of my epic, Elijah. We leave Elijah and the Lord conversing on Sinai, while omniscient vision takes us back to Jezreel, distance traversing, and Jezebel, in whom new evil wakes. Naboth the Jezreelite, his love had poured into the vineyard of his fathers by the palace walls, fine wine its rich reward, until King Ahab cast a covetous eye. Let me your vineyard have, he said, to grow my vegetables, it being close at hand, for which I shall a better plot bestow, or pay thee what the worth of it command. By love compelled, though, Naboth dared deny his king, who knows not how to distinguish twixt price and value. God forbid that I, he said, my father's legacy relinquish. For many generations hath this been my family's beloved heritage. Much as I understand that you are keen to have it, t'would belie my parentage." So Ahab tried all manner of persuasion on Naboth in a bid to bring him round, but never swayed the man's determination to keep his ownership of hallowed ground. Dejected, sullen, Ahab home returns, takes to his bed, declines to eat, seeing which Queen Jezebel, his source of malaise, learns, knowing the way to scratch her husband's itch. Disrobing by the bed, Between the sheets she climbs, naked in front of him she lies, coaxes her man with soft words and entreats, works on him with caresses, doe-like eyes. Tell me, my lord, is Naboth vexed thee? Are you not king of Israel? Enforce thy will. No, Jezebel, subjects are free to buy or sell, that is our law, of course. Come now, says she, things cannot be so bleak. I'll get you what you want, leave it to me. Ahab suspects her, though his will is weak. No, Jezebel, he whispers, let it be. You've killed most of the prophets of Yahweh already, and my reign cannot afford to let you murder others in your way. How much would you have me offend the Lord? You know what happened at Carmel, and how the people's anger was unleashed. Why take the risk? No, Jezebel, I can't allow more bloodshed of innocence for thy sake. The queen draws closer now. Warm is her breath on Ahab's cheek. You would not be to blame. She simpers, edging close her ample breast. Her hands, meanwhile, anew his manhood claim. Held thus how readily the king gives in. I never could resist you, Jezebel. He sighs as her guilty pleasures begin, his feeble will manipulated well. It takes but little labour in the end for her to gain the upper hand. How brief King Ahab's joy when to her will he bend, his birthright sold for momentary relief. More than a little death King Ahab dies in this instance. He has his instrument, as each man has, to stand up as he lies, creative or destructive in intent. But what misguided waste of energy to yield in lustreless, if lustful, course? Letting the queen milk off his essence, he too soon relinquishes his own life force. Even the sower though he wasted seed falling in rocky places, hit the mark in soil elsewhere, whereas King Ahab's deed leaves no impression but a soiled sheet mark. As Ahab fades in consciousness, unmanned, Queen Jezebel reseals the royal ascent, kisses her sleepy lover, wipes her hand, lets Ahab fall into his short descent. She rises from the couch immediately, Wasting no time in sending letters out to elders, nobles who compliantly will do her bidding, none of heart devout. Conquered are all of them she holds in sway, some lovers of the queen, others blackmailed or bribed, who all will principle betray when conscience by corruption is assailed. So she, with Ahab's seal in Ahab's name, has them order a feast, and Naboth bring in honoured place, till two scoundrels defame him, testifying he cursed God and the king. They take him thence outside the city, and stone him to death, upon which news the queen tells Ahab, Naboth's dead, to take the land, which he obeys his greedy prize to glean. But with so many in conspiracy and rumour rife, the royal reputation stinks even more. Eternal infamy, the price of Jezebel's manipulation. Though Jezebel and Ahab for their crimes have been accorded notoriety, Prime Ministers and Presidents in our times alike misuse man-made authority to murder with respectability. Tyrants are tired in tired democracy, draw up their kill lists cloaked in secrecy. No court on earth, considering conviction, justice will yet proceed another way, referral to a higher jurisdiction to make the case the penalty to pay. A prophet's witness here comes into play. His is a power men do not understand, but his pronouncements no king can withstand. Let us therefore, as lords of time, return to our eponymous hero, now en route to Jezreel. By the Lord's word, he has learned of Ahab's treachery, ill-gotten loot. He finds him in the vineyard lately torn from Naboth, where already vines are ripped from native soil and lie in stricken form, ready to burn. With wrath, Elijah's gripped. His face like flint, he strides toward the king, whose bodyguard have feared what God might do to them, or what a prophet's curse might bring, knowing what happened to the Baalite crew, reluctantly unsheathe their swords in show of force and form a dry-mouthed, trembling wall. This is a warfare that they do not know, against which weapons have no weight at all. For what can armour Helmet, sword, or shield, in that arena do where prophets wield their power and works of angels are unsealed. This is a battle of another field. Who would contend the will of God might just as well attempt to wound the wind or strike water? God does with man, essence of dust, as with the powers of heaven, what he likes. Elijah stops and registers the dread the eyes of Ahab's bodyguard betray, while Ahab lately into murder-led, guilt, rather, and embarrassment displays. So, you have found me, uh, my enemy, he says to the prophet, whose glaring eyes strike yet more fear into the soldiery. Elijah pauses, then slowly replies, I have found thee, because thou sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord, murdered a man to serve your greed and wealth, taking his property as your reward. His life, his livelihood, his legacy, the work of generations in love sown, ripped from the earth to suit your luxury, and here you stand on soil you do not own. So said the Lord, Because you have done so outside the city, Dogs, your blood shall lick, Just as they licked the blood of Naboth. Know that this shall justly serve Thy slanderer's trick. By now, some soldiers' sword arms have grown slack. They're more uneasy than they are afraid. Their conscience too has come under attack, Knowing the kind of man they're called to aid. Shuffling their feet, Embarrassed, looking down, to either side the soldiers start to back, until an angry voice shouts, Stand your ground! Then, striding forward, readies to attack, his sword-tip pointing. But another guard steps in, and with his weapon, strikes aside the first. Enough, Benaiah, says he who barred his way. This dispute's not ours to decide. Now stand two mighty men in fierce display, both with swords drawn and facing one another. How dare you, Eliazar, get in my way? Because, Beniah, this prophet is our brother. What happened at Mount Carmel, you well know. You want to call down fire on your head. This is no time for threats or military show. Better to have humility instead. You think, in junior rank, to order me? Beniah says. You'll be sent down for this. The two men face off in hostility, a combat pending that shall life dismiss, till Ahab intervenes at last. What is my kingdom coming to? Two of my best about to kill each other? What is this? That my own soldiers each other detest? How am I going to fight off other nations if you lot are at odds the ranks within?' This land so often threatened with invasions, to overthrow ourselves and let them in. You can all sheathe your swords now, let him go. Elijah said what he came here to say, and now that's off his chest, though he's my foe, he can continue on his merry way. With a dismissive gesture to highlight his patronising and high-handed tone, King Ahab walks, stiff-necked and uncontrite, toward the safety of his corrupt throne. But Ahab will not slip so easily from Naboth's vineyard, scene of crime his own. The gilded lord who gains so greedily must stand to hear and reap what he has sown. Not yet, Ahab. Elijah says, still near, I am not finished, there is more beside. I was rather afraid of that, oh dear. All right then, man of God, let's step aside. The king makes for the vineyard's boundary wall with weary tread, the prophet alongside. Well then, Elijah, go on, tell me all, he says when none else can hear what betide. Elijah looks him squarely in the eyes, his lips hard set, fiery his countenance, while Ahab casually regards him, sighs, and tries to feign composed indifference. Elijah, trembling, whether rage or fright after his near encounter with the sword, addresses Israel's king with words forthright. Hear, Ahab, for your wrongs, thus saith the Lord Behold, I will bring evil upon thee, thy sins and Israel's provoking me. Ahab's cut off from his posterity, none shall be left to him, bondman or free. Any of Ahab's dying in the city shall dogs eat. Any in the country dying shall birds eat. None to mourn them, none to pity. Their corpses in abomination lying. Ahab no longer can maintain his calm outside. His features soften, his eyes wet. Enough, Elijah, whispers he. Such harm I have deserved. But be merciful yet. That thou must ask of God, whose ears have heard the blood of Naboth crying from the ground. Of children sacrificed to Baal, you've stirred his wrath, worshipping gods your wife has crowned. Leave my wife out of this. Ahab replies, though feeble in protest, for he knows well, she at the heart of his transgressions lies. Nay, Dogs shall eat the corpse of Jezebel by Jezreel's wall. The prophet with these words departs the scene, not needing to behold Ahab's reaction, though he must have heard the muffled sob the king could not withhold. For stricken Ahab, one hand on the wall, is bent over, a figure of remorse. How much this sight the bodyguard appalls, Elijah reads as past he steers his course. The captain named Beniah, especially, obvious his loathing for the man of God, with narrowed eyes views him suspiciously, though Eleazar conveys a subtle nod. Elijah reaches the opposing gate, not looking back or even slowing his gait, though once outside he finds a boy awaits, the prophet's legacy to emulate. My lord Elijah, he begins, I've come because I need a teacher, and of all prophets of Israel, there is not one I'd rather follow to fulfill my call. The lad is startled by the steely glare Elijah turns on him, still full of ire from his encounters in the vineyard there, but seeing this boy, the prophet quells his fire. You speak most eloquently for a lad your age. What is your name? Elijah asks. Elisha, says the boy. The prophet's glad to hear this name from the anointing tasks the Lord gave him at Sinai years ago, after the earthquake, wind, and fire assailed his senses, and God's voice in whispered flow, with message of encouragement prevailed. And tell me who your parents are? I am the son of Shaphat, and we have a farm. My parents have agreed, and say I can study with you. Well then, I see no harm in it. Elijah says, You're keen to learn? And if you're diligent and play your part, gifted of God and can his will discern, I'll give thee guidance in the prophet's art. But let me meet your folks, a courtesy to hear from their own lips what you have said. Though I can give you nourishment spiritually, it's up to them to keep you clothed and fed. So, that's today's episode. If you want to hear the entire 12-book epic of Elijah the Audiobook, it's about a a four-and-a-half-hour read... You can get it free with a trial of Audible and at Amazon, iTunes, Kobo, pretty much wherever audiobooks are sold. It's one of four audiobooks I have out now with my own narrations. And you can find the links for all of them at my website, poetprophet.com, where prophets spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T... Before I go, mark your calendar for the book giveaway on Amazon US, Amazon UK this Friday, November the 23rd. It's going to be well-versed. OK, until next week, this has been Abdil Leroy.